Welcome to this edition of the 401k and Beyond podcast. This is the longer form edition where we have meaningful discussions with folks in and around the investment community. Here is your host, Brian Williams. I have the perfect guests and topic to kick off this format of the podcast. This is a show where we'll have meaningful discussions with those in and around retirement and investing. In this episode, I'm honored to be joined by the Community Foundation of Greater New Britain. As we talk about growing our wealth, we need to start thinking about the good we can do for our community. So let's get into it. Hello and welcome to this edition of the show. I am joined today by David Obiinski, who is President and CEO of the Community Foundation of Greater New Britain, and Kimberly Duncan, Communications and Donor Relations Manager. How are you guys doing today? Doing great. Thank great. you, Brian. How are you? Yeah. So before we forget, I was just uh, I was saying before we came on that uh, the Amazon Prime Day is tomorrow. So that sort of fits in with, with what you're doing. Let's uh, let's talk about that first and get that out of the way for people who are going to be buying lots of stuff on Amazon this week. Sure. So I, I would think most people have an Amazon account these days, but I don't think many people are aware of um, the Amazon Smile Project, which is select items on Amazon can benefit a charity of your choice as long as you sign up with that charity. So you can choose the Community Foundation of Greater New Britain at no cost to you. It doesn't add anything. Uh, You just make your regular purchases and we receive a check from Amazon quarterly of proceeds from those purchases. Yeah, that's pretty nice. And people can save that in their account. So it's not something they have to enter every time they go in and buy, right? Exactly. It's just a one-time thing. Yeah, that's really nice. And how how have you guys been doing with that program? I think uh, we've seen exponential increases in the, the number of people being part of it and participating uh, when they select us. And that's mm-hmm. been great. I think we're pleasantly surprised with the checks that we've been receiving, which uh, go to help us meet the area's greatest needs in our community. Yeah, that's really good. Noah, I did a podcast with you guys. It seems like a hundred years ago, right? I mean, before the <laughs> pandemic and all this, all this kind of stuff, but how about you, uh, you refresh and talk about the community foundation of greater new Britain and maybe how you've, uh, handled the last couple of years. It's certainly been an interesting time for foundations like yourself. It sure has. Um, and I, I think we've been pretty resilient in what we've been facing, just as many businesses and families um, have been. Um, but we wanted to uh, do our best to support the community, support the nonprofit organizations uh, that were hit hard. Uh, food banks couldn't operate for a period of time. Uh, you just couldn't have that personal contact with people. So. We did our best to support those projects, to provide mini grants to nonprofit organizations to help them buy the cleaning supplies and the PPE that they needed um, over and above their operating costs. Uh, We helped put face shields together, 55,000 face shields for first responders working with uh, OK Industries, uh, with the Hospital of Central Connecticut, Hospital for Special Care, a great project, and and we were we were proud to be part of that, and that goes to our roots. Uh, community foundations started in 1914 with the Cleveland Foundation, and now there are more than 750 community foundations throughout the United States. 
And basically it's the community coming together to pool money that could then benefit the community. And so we take that model seriously. Uh, we raise funds uh, through individuals, organizations, and businesses coming to us and uh, wanting to start funds with us, uh, different kinds of funds we can talk about in a little bit, or scholarships. And so we steward those funds, uh, we invest those funds, and then we have a policy that we call a spending policy that allows us to then give a portion of that money back for its original intended purpose, whether that be grants from a donor advised fund, scholarships, or other type of support that we uh, provide initiatives uh, to try to address. Okay, and what and what areas do you cover towns and cities wise? We have a primary service area of Berlin, New Britain, Plainville, and Southington. We have a secondary prime, a secondary service area of some of the other surrounding towns like Farmington, Avon, Newington, uh, et cetera, because some of our scholarships actually go beyond our primary service area borders. And so there are students in some of those high schools uh, that are also uh, applying for scholarships and all the information about our scholarships uh, is available on our website at cfgnb.org, uh, where you can kind of look up and see what you might be eligible for. And that's, it's interesting for people that want to donate because I know sometimes people think of, you know, community foundations as, you know, maybe somebody passes away and, and donates a, a big gift, but that's really not how you guys operate. I mean, obviously that helps, but it's really uh, just a lot of small donations from a lot of people, right? It really is. It's, it's a combination of people during their lifetime wanting to be involved with philanthropy. They want to start a donor advised fund with us and those funds only started $5,000. So we try to make it very easy for someone to become a philanthropist in their community. And then 4% of that $5,000 is available every year for them to give out in grants to any nonprofit in the United States. So it goes beyond our primary service area because people sometimes have homes in different parts of the country for different times of the year. And so we want them to be able to be philanthropists in all of those areas too. So yeah, we, we work with individuals, families, businesses, organizations, Lately, we have seen a number of civic and cultural organizations who have relied upon us with dwindling memberships to move their funds over to the community foundation. And we provide that service where, let's say the local Kiwanis has a scholarship, but they don't have enough members anymore to have a scholarship committee. And so they'll move those funds to us. We'll take on investing those funds and we'll create a scholarship agreement with that organization so we continue to give out that scholarship in their name the same way that they've liked to give it out. And now that fund will be there in perpetuity uh, with us caring for it. So that's one of the ways in which a community foundation can provide service uh, to the people in the community. And we got to mention the Catalyst Fund, right? That's one of my favorite things that, that you guys do. So how have you been able to grow that over the last few years? Well, the Catalyst uh, Fund is really quite a story. As, as you note, uh, 20 years now, 
that the Catalyst uh, Giving Circle has existed. Um, I'll mention how it works and maybe Kim could talk about the three meetings that we have each year and, and what happens at each of them. But essentially it's a giving circle where you would make a gift of $250. And with that gift, you are a full-fledged member of the Catalyst Giving Circle for that year. There are three meetings that take place and you have a vote so that at the end of uh, the process, you get a chance to vote and decide where the grant would go to to address a particular issue in that community. And I'll let Kim talk about what happens at those three meetings. Sure, so our first meeting is um, really just kind of an introductory for those new members that we get every year. Uh, we talk about how the voting works, what kind of topics we're facing in the community. So one of our staff members prepares, um, you know, she kind of goes out in the community and surveys different areas that might need attention. So it's very relevant to the current times. Um, and then she brings forth different um, organizations and different subjects that might need our attention. We bring that to the Catalyst members and they discuss amongst themselves pros and cons, where we should set our focus. And then it is set to a vote of what topic uh, should be the focus for the Catalyst year. Uh, the second meeting, a couple months later, is going to be pe um, people representing organizations that can help that chosen topic. Uh, so you'll hear how they would use the Catalyst grant money to benefit the problem we're working with. Uh, the members will then sit and discuss, ask any questions of those members of the community. And then the third meeting uh, is going to be where the members vote on which organization receives the Catalyst grant. So it's really um, your membership dues contribute to the Catalyst grant. So you're making a small gift, but you're making a huge grant to an organization. So you really make a huge impact. Um, and then the following year, when you rejoin Catalyst, you'll hear how that program is doing and how, how the work they've done has continued with that grant money. So that's great. I think the gift becomes a $15,000 grant that we're now able to give out. And this year we have a record number of Catalyst members with 89 uh, gifts coming in. And uh, we had our first meeting in June and the next meeting will be in September. And anybody can join Catalyst at any time. All right, that's great. Kim, I wanna ask you about your role in, in communications and how that changed during the pandemic and does it feel like things are getting back to normal from a communication standpoint? Sure, I think things are getting back to normal, but I think normal is also a little bit newer. Um, it, ha it was very important for us to continue to get our name out there because we are very obviously community-based as an organization. We're always out and about, we're attending meetings, we're attending other organizations functions. And obviously we couldn't do that for the better part of two years. So it was really important to make sure we were still being relevant, that people who don't know about us were learning about us and that the people who do know about us could continue to see the work that we're doing. Yeah, that's, that's great. It's always good to get the message out there and it's, uh, you know, you guys are pretty active on social media and I see a lot of people liking and sharing your posts. So that's always good. Um, David, from a spending uh, standpoint, obviously you have certain rules and, and targets about how you, you spend your money. I'm sure you'd, some years you'd like to give it all away or, or give a good portion of it to certain causes. But did your spending habits change and did you have to alter your, 
your documents surrounding that at all during this period? Yeah, what we did was uh, we're very fortunate in that because of very generous gifts by the Stanley family and several other families early on in our foundation, we have um, what I would probably call a good amount of unrestricted dollars available to us because those donors put no restrictions on how the funds could be spent. So that allows us some flexibility in uh, difficult times to uh, divert some of those funds to special situations. So we did just that with our board uh, deciding it was a good idea. And we moved money over to those COVID mini grants I mentioned earlier and to other initiatives that would help uh, during the recovery of COVID. And we were looking at putting more money into basic human needs uh, during this period to help people with food and shelter and rent assistance, uh, you know, those kinds of things that were really helping the people who got hit hard uh, or hardest in this uh, COVID situation. So it comes down to being very grateful to those generous families and organizations that have trusted us uh, with the money uh, that we steward for them. Uh, we're at about 60 million dollars now in, in what we manage. Uh, we use advisors who work with our board and our investment committee, and they're very, very good at taking advantage of the market, but not putting you know as much of our funds at too much risk so that we can protect the principal as much as possible. This current market situation is unusual, uh, and but we also know that the markets recover and uh, we'll be just fine and our funds will be just fine. And one of the things I think that's great that you guys do is you have right on your on your website, you have your finance, you have your all your audited financial statements, your 990s, all your, your fees and expenses are on there too. So I think that's important from a transparency standpoint. Folks that are donating money are pretty confident that it's being managed properly. I appreciate you noticing that. And uh, Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, we, we are, we're a platinum level uh, as far as uh, outside agencies, uh, you know, grading us for, for that transparency and the information that we provide. And Kim works on that annually to provide the information that we need. And she makes sure the information is up on our website, uh, like you said. What are some of the creative ways that are that are kind of new and different in, in your time there that are people that are have people donating money in sort of creative ways that might be different than when you started? Hmm. I think that what we're seeing lately are donors who ask more questions, which I love. They're not just handing us a check. They want to get involved. They want to start a scholarship with us, but then also run a golf tournament each year. And, and we get involved with that too, to help support them so that they can raise more money to put into that scholarship. We have one gentleman right now who's a graduate of New Britain High School who came to us and wanted to start a new hurricane spirit fund at New Britain High School to support the spirit groups, cheerleaders, band, et cetera, something he was involved with when he was a student. And he challenged the community and he is matching, uh, I think it's up to the first $10,000 that are contributed to that fund. 
Um, and he's going to match that. So that also adds a level of excitement uh, to the whole effort and uh, the schools getting behind it. And uh, we also have two retiring administrators at New Burton High School who we've worked with for years, uh, Mike Foran and Nancy Sarah, and uh, both walked in here about four or five weeks ago together and said, we want to start scholarships um, and we're going to, you know, contribute to it and make those a reality so that even though we're not working in the school system, our scholarships can help students with their higher education dreams. And I, I just love when that happens because it, they know us, they know what we do, we do it well, and they just walked right in and said, let's do this, let's make it happen. So there's some press coming out about that uh, very soon too. All right, so so let's take it from there. Somebody walks in and they, they wanna start their own fund or build a fund, what, what is their next step? Sure. We sit down and we have a, a good conversation with them. We want to know what motivated them. What are they thinking? Is this a scholarship situation? Is this a donor advised fund situation where they want to actively choose nonprofits to get grants each year and then have one more generation of their family be able to do that when they're finished doing that? Or is it a field of interest fund, which is where you start a fund with us in your name, but then the staff and the grants committee of the organization finds out where's the area of greatest need and they make the grants uh, to those organizations. So we, we want to know where they're coming from. What is it they want to accomplish with their philanthropy and how can we help them to get there? We explain how our funds work. We talk about how we invest our funds, how we care for those funds, how our spending policy works, which as I mentioned is 4%. And uh, we then start working on a fund agreement. And that fund agreement talks all about the motivation. It talks about how the fund is going to work. And when everybody is satisfied with the language in that fund agreement, we have a signing ceremony. And so we take pictures, we, we make it a, a festive situation, um, and, and everybody is excited about it. However, if somebody wants to remain anonymous, we honor that because some people just don't want the publicity and that's okay. So we ask them right up front, do you mind if we do some press? And then Kim works on that with the donor, talks to them, gets some more information, or do you want this to be anonymous? And we'll honor that. Often when we do press, we find that it motivates other people and other people start to call us and say, you know, I heard about that family or that organization that started that fund. Can you tell me more about how that works? And so the cycle continues. Do you feel feel like people want to be more active in uh, the first few years and then they sort of take a step back and let you guys run with it a little bit? You know, it is kind of funny because we had one recently, uh, a fund where the husband and wife set it up so that they would be the advisors. And then the fund agreement said that their children would be the advisors in the next generation. About three months later, they came back to us and said, we just want to let you know, we talked to our kids and they really don't want to be advisors. They're very happy about the fund. They love the fact that we did this fund, but they felt the community foundation could be the better judge of where the money could be used in the community. So you get those kinds of circumstances too, um, where you think it's going to happen in one way, but, but then it changes. 
Yeah, I, I could see how that would that would happen. It's very easy. <laughs> Ideas are easy, and then once time goes on, the execution becomes, uh, you know, this yeah. this is what you guys do all day. So you're better off handing it off to the professional, right? And we did have uh, we also have some younger families that wanted to start a fund with us um, because they wanted to bring their children into the tradition of sitting around the kitchen table at least once a year and asking their kids, are there organizations in the community that you've heard about that you think we should make a grant to? And it turns into this real teaching moment where the parents can instill the sense of philanthropy and giving back with their children at an early age. And I remember when I did it with, with my daughter, because um, we started a family fund here too. We sat around the table and talked about it. I remember, you know, thinking, will she even know any organizations? And she chimed in and she said, yes, I want to support Habitat for Humanity. I heard about it in a presentation at school. And I, you know, and I was like, wow, okay, great. You know, so these, these kids are paying attention and they are listening to what's happening in the community. So we have those kinds of circumstances too. And it just warms our heart when we hear about families getting together and having that kind of participation. Yeah, that's great. As you describe the family, it almost reminds you of a family starting a mini catalyst, right? They're all talking, sitting around the dinner table and talking yes. about what they, what they want to do. Um, so for somebody, let's say somebody wants to start their, their fund at, at $5,000. Do you have an example of maybe one of those that's been on the, probably on the lower scale dollar wise, that's, had some some impact, you know, because you think, all right, four percent a year on five thousand, couple hundred dollars a year, you know, mm -hmm. is it is it really worth doing? So why is that worth doing? Yeah, I think um, most people who are starting and are building their fund, because you can start a fund with a hundred dollars and build it over time, and then once it gets to five thousand, mm -hmm. grants can begin to be uh, given out as a result of of that or 25,000 for a scholarship. Um, I don't know, is there anything that comes to mind um, for an example like that? Um, I do know of a good example. Uh, we have an, a scholarship called the Alma Exley Scholarship um, and it was started with a considerable gift, but uh, each year, Woody, who is the uh, fund representative, he tells his kids and his friends, you know, I don't want birthday presents. I want you to give a gift to the fund. And Christmas comes around and he says the same thing. So he's very good about keeping the fun name alive and spreading the word and telling people the mission. And we are constantly seeing an influx of gifts for that fun. So it really depends on the level of fundraising that the fund representatives want to be a part of. Yeah. And in his case, I think that fund is now over a quarter of a million dollars, you know, where it may have been started with, Ten or twenty thousand dollars, like that. Woody's been such a good cheerleader for that fund, which is in memory of his his wife. Um, that uh, everybody's getting behind it, and now that fund, that scholarship, is able to give out scholarships <laughs> that they only dreamed of before in the amount that they can give out to students. So. What started as a humble beginning has now turned into something they're extremely proud of. Yeah, that's got to be really exciting to see all those things come to fruition and see it, the change of dollar amount and the impact over time. 
And we had uh, some excitement with that particular scholarship recently because Dr. Miguel Cardona, um, our uh, Secretary of Education in the United States, is an Alma Exley Scholar recipient. Mm -hmm. And he never misses the reception every year that takes place where they, the recipients all come back together and congratulate the next recipient. And this year, of course, because of his busy schedule, he sent a video uh, welcome and uh, congratulatory message uh, to everybody who was involved with that. And that was wonderful that he continues to be involved. And we're very proud of the fact that uh, he is a recipient. That's really good. I know you do a lot of work with financial advisors, and I know there's a lot that, that watch my content. So tell me a little bit about your relationship with advisors and how that's grown over the last few years. Sure, sure. Um, we used to do some uh, receptions and roundtables and things like that. Of course, COVID uh, kind of cut that down. Uh, we have tried to stay in contact with a number of financial advisors, estate attorneys, um, planners um, in the area. And we came out with a funds booklet, um, which is a kind of a quick read, how our funds work, how we invest them, how the funds are given out in the community. Um, it, it, kind of a quick read so that they at least would be briefed. So if they came in contact with any clients that they felt had philanthropic intentions, they would know what we offer and how we could be of assistance to their client. So if anyone is listening to this and has an interest in obtaining a fund booklet, um, if you just go to our website, cfgnb.org, uh, there's a pop-up that Kim has created right on the front page where you can actually chat uh, with a staff member. Um, either overnight messages can be left or during the day, someone will be in touch and we can send one of those fund booklets to them. So we go to uh, attorney's offices, we give them to them, they put them in the waiting room, we go to financial planners, we give them a supply of these fun booklets, and then they call us when they need more. Um, and that's how we try to keep them in the loop about what we have to offer uh, to their clientele. Yeah, that's really good. From an estate planning standpoint, do you find more people now are likely to give a little bit more while they're still living rather than kind of the old model of build it up and then donate whatever's left? I have seen in my 37 years of working in nonprofits, so many, you know, things shifting in that area. But I'll say for right now, um, I have had um, people who have established funds with us who have said, I'm going to give you a little now, but you're going to get my ultimate gift when I pass. I've got that all set up. I have other people who have said, well, I'll give you a little now, and then there'll be an ultimate gift, and then they change their mind. Mm. This usually happens in a very bull market, and when people have a lot of appreciated stock and securities, and uh, they'll take advantage of giving us a gift with appreciated stock because they can save taxes on the capital gain, because there are you know, no taxes taken out if you're giving it as a charitable gift. So we had a number of people because of such appreciated assets come to us and say, you know what? I know I said I was going to give you the ultimate gift later, but I'm changing my mind and I'm going to do it now because the market favors that. So 
the market sometimes dictates how people will plan those kinds of gifts. Um, and we try to keep people informed about what's changed, uh, what they can take advantage of, extra charitable giving that can occur when the rules were changing about gifts during COVID. Uh, so we, anybody who, who subscribes, uh, joins our community foundation family, gives us their email address so we can send them our quarterly e-news or likes us on our Facebook page so that they can get updates uh, from us uh, on that. We keep them informed about those kinds of opportunities. And I think those are important opportunities. Obviously, we're always focused on, you know, what the market's doing today or the last hour or even, you know, the last, last six months have been rough. But over the last 20, 15, 10 years, those have been very good markets for people. And they, a lot of people have equities or bonds with really low cost basis. And they think sometimes that they have to sell those and then donate, but they can actually donate the securities right to you guys, right? That is correct. We have a brokerage account. We give their broker our information and they easily transfer those assets to us. And on the day we receive it, that's where we uh, factor in what the value of that gift is. The other thing that we do is on our spending policy, uh, referring to the market, we use a 20 quarter average in figuring out what the 4% is that is available each year from a fund or a scholarship. So that 20 quarter average really helps to smooth out the bumps in the market. Um, in, 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 so, you know, I had someone come to me the other day and went, oh, I wonder what my fund looks like right now. I said, well, don't worry about the fund. Fund's doing fine. I said, that we've got the 20 quarter average that's going to smooth things out. And they went, oh, thank you for reminding me of that. So uh, that, that really helps uh, in our factoring uh, what's available. And when you add it all up, we do give out uh, somewhere between two and three million dollars a year on a steady basis. And that's been increasing as our total assets have increased. And Kim, did you see a lot more people interested in, in donating in different ways during during the pandemic? Uh, well, since we were at home for quite a while, there were definitely more online gifts. Uh, and I think it's good to let people know how simple it can be to make a gift. Uh, we also a few years ago started a recurring donations option on our website. So you can kind of set and forget it. If you can't make a big gift right now, for instance, for your Catalyst membership, if you don't want to spend $250 right now, you can do $20, $25 a month and just set it, forget it. And then you know, you're actually getting a little bit of a discount on your Catalyst membership every year. Uh, so def definitely that. And I think yeah. there's a couple of uh, local initiatives that uh, the general public might be interested in. For example, we have a natural disaster response fund that a number of people contribute to. That helps, helps give us a pool of money to help families who have been displaced from a disaster like a fire in a multifamily dwelling or if the area is hit with a flood or a tornado or something like that. And so that natural disaster response fund is something people like to give to, as well as our civic leadership fund, which addresses the areas of greatest need at the time uh, that are, we're facing and, and, and where we can help uh, you know, with some gaps in the community. And those are, yeah, those are great features. I know I always tell people it's great to, 
you know, as you think you've got a little bit extra money, maybe you get a bonus at the end of the year. But so much of what we do is kind of that subscription model, right? Your your Netflix right. or whatever, everything is kind of on a monthly basis. So it makes it a little bit easier to budget if you, you know, even $10, $15, if you're doing that every week, um, it kind of smooths things out and, and set it and forget it, like you guys said. I had a question about, uh, I think you said about 175 community foundations. How frequently do you guys talk, share ideas? Is there national conferences and stuff like that that you go to? Mm. Yeah, great question because um, in Connecticut, uh, there are a number of community foundations that cover just about every town, if not every town uh, in the state. You know, larger ones being like the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving and uh, Greater New Haven and, and Greater Fairfield areas have their community foundations. Um, the CEOs and presidents of the Connecticut community foundations actually get together in person or on Zoom quarterly. And we share ideas. We talk about trends. We talk about what are we seeing in our community? Are you seeing this? How are you addressing this? It's a really nice collegial group um, with we're sharing ideas. We're coming up with maybe there's a collaborative uh, project that we can all work on uh, together. Um, and and it's it's really it was great for me because I hadn't been the CEO of a community foundation in my career at that point when I came on board uh, five years ago. Uh, and so it was it was great to be welcomed in and to be able to share ideas and, and know you're not the only person going through something in particular. So uh, hats off to the community that welcomed me in. Um, and we work well with the local community foundations like the Main Street Community Foundation out of Bristol, um, and uh, Jay Williams at the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving. Very good work with each other on a number of fronts. And you work with a lot of smaller organizations too that can use you and your financial firepower and your organization to support smaller organizations, right? Right. We, we Sometimes uh, we collaborate. Uh, sometimes they come to us and bring us great ideas about how we can assist them that we hadn't thought of. Um, sometimes there are ways in which they can help get the word out to the community about us and what we do. For example, we have two funds with the Southington Public Library. One is an ongoing endowment that if you contribute to, you're gonna help because every year they get a grant from that endowment for their programs. And the other is a capital fund, which is gonna help them with the renovation of and the building of their new library in Southington. Um, and so, we'll have these kinds of projects together and, and we assisted with, you know, get the vote out for, for the library referendum and, and collaborated with them on that too. So yeah, it happens often. Has there been any new initiatives that you've started over the last couple of years in response to the pandemic, maybe in anticipation of something similar happening again? Well, less, of the pandemic, although I would say the Natural Disaster Response Fund was in part due to, you know, something happening in the community that we wanted to be able to respond to and have some money set aside for that. But when I got on board, I said, I think we really need to do some capacity building training for nonprofits on a continual basis so that a nonprofit that might be weaker in public relations, but stronger in development, 
weaker in board development, stronger in marketing. Where are their weak legs? And if we can help them get stronger in those areas, they're going to be able to conduct their mission more effectively and be able to serve more people. And if that's happening, then the whole rising tide is going to lift all boats kind of scenario takes place. So we have now for the last four, four and a half years, uh, built this nonprofit capacity building initiative so that we are listening to the nonprofits. What do they need? And then we're providing instructors, training, resources, a resource library so that they can be stronger. And then all of us can respond in a better way to those situations like a pandemic or other stressors on the community. Okay. And so Kim, for people who want to learn more, what are the best places to follow you and social media and all that good stuff? Sure. So our website is www.cfgnb.org. We are also on Facebook, facebook.com slash cfgnb. Uh, And then we're also on LinkedIn, which we don't have a direct link to, but if you just search either the Community Foundation of Greater New Britain or CFGNB, we come right up. All right. And Kim, what do we have to do to get David on TikTok to make some videos on there? <laughs> I'm not sure about that one. That no? All right. worth a shot. I did do a cooking video with Bread for Life. So if you go to Bread for Life's YouTube channel, uh, then you will see a cooking video from myself with my Marcelino sandwiches and with Kayla Milligan, uh, also doing uh, some recipes for Bread for Life. But that's about as far as I'll go, Brian. All right. Fair <laughs> enough. Anything I missed? Anything else you want to cover before we sign off? I don't think so. I think if, if people go to our website, check us out. It should answer most, if not all, of their questions. And as Kim mentioned, it's very easy to give. There's a big Give Now button at the top. And if you click that, you'll have a drop-down menu of all of the funds and scholarships uh, that we have that uh, if you're inclined uh, to support any of them or come talk to us about starting a new one, we'd love to hear from you. All right. Sounds good, guys. Thanks a lot. Thank Thank you. Thank you.